Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh, I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? Thanks very much for tuning into second captain's football at the Irish Times after a Champions League final that revealed the beating heart of the Real Madrid team not to be Cristiano Ronaldo or even Gareth Bale, but rather the much maligned. Sergio Ramos, Ken, I see you smiling already. A player described in today's newspaper as the central defender who struts about the field projecting a conquistador-like persona comprised of equal parts aggression, stupidity and pride. The man who penned those words is Ken Early. Mm. Ramos the hero, Ken. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's impossible to watch uh, Sergio Ramos and not be reminded of Hernan Cortez and Francisco Pizarro, the men who put South America to the sword (laughs) on behalf of Spain. Uh, in the 16th century, uh, he, I think he traces his lineage directly to those um, snorting, uh, aggressive, confrontational, uh, macho men. I mean, Diego Simeone was talking about uh, the size of his players' balls after the semi-final. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the You're talking sh- about a general concept. He wasn't going to specifics player by player. No, just on, that, on that average. Completely- on average, but I'm I'm willing to bet that the, even the median size of the median diameter uh, of the Atletico squad yeah. is probably a couple of standard deviations away from uh, this, this stupendous quivering orbs of Sergio Ramos, <laughs> uh, which uh, which were really what what caused uh, Real Madrid to get back into that game. I mean, it was amazing to watch to watch him because he was so he was uh, he was actually inspirational I mean you have to say totally. and not just not just in the fact that he eventually scored this amazing goal which was pure just um, you know machismo the goal itself it was not you know the, the old Spanish nickname the uh, La Fu- uh, Furia Roca the Red Fury um, this was the the ideal that the Spanish national team had before Barcelona came along and kind of turned it that into this college really, yeah. college students sort of, oh, you know, we're all smart. You can imagine them all hanging out in like Palo Alto in some corporate campus, you know, Xavi and Iniesta, like, like you know, this is, Iniesta or Xavi is like kind of the Steve Jobs of football, you know, thinking different. Hey, you know, guys, what about, say, we pass the ball around a bit? You know, if we do it fast enough and precisely enough, the, those other guys won't know what's hit them. And sure, he won the you know European Championships twice and the World Cup. Of course, Sergio Ramos is in those teams. But everyone knows it was really, it was the Barcelona passing football, um, the 21st century next generation football that won it. This was back to the roots of Spanish football. <laughs> you know, a big snorting. He actually does remind me slightly of a horse. I think, he, I think he's got slightly above average sized nostrils, Sergio really? Ramos. Yeah, I don't think his, I don't think it's, it's, you know, we've already been talking about other things about him that are above average. I think he's, you know, he's, he can really snort and flare his nostrils with aggression. And uh, on this occasion, uh, he gets up, boom, a header in the corner. I mean, Thibaut Court was an amazing goalkeeper uh, and was able, I think, to get a hand to that header, but there was, pff, there was too much power. There was just too much Maybe power. Maybe his head is even slightly above Average size. Seems like everything about Ramos is. Yeah, I mean, he he just you know on the night he stepped up. He, you could see it. After, I remember there was a moment just before the hour. I mean, Ramos had had been kind of 
playing really impatiently, trying to hurry the team forward. I mean, he was he was pressing forward. You know, there was a few times in the first half, even when he was standing in the middle of Atletico's half. You know, there's none of this stand on the halfway line in case something goes wrong. He's mm-hmm. like, no, I want to get out there. I'm, you know, if he was one of these um, uh, conquistadors, he would have been right there on his horse in the front line, you know, leading the charge, covered in blood and soot uh, and cutting people down. Uh, it wouldn't have been a question of standing on a hilltop directing operations. He, would have, he wanted to get right in there and, and start smashing people's heads. Um, the, after an hour of the game, he, he tried to... He was playing these passes all night, like just sort of almost hurried when he gets in the ball. He's just, bang, I want to get it out to the wingers as quickly as possible. And he spun one out towards Di Maria, which was in front of him, you know, by three or four yards, went out for a throw. And he literally dropped to his knees and started punching the earth, you know, yeah. in, his, in his rage. Sammy Kufour style. Yeah, it was like, it was like what Kufour, and this is Ramos, you know, having, that, that was how angry he was to have put a ball out of play with half an hour still to go. So you can imagine the thought of actually losing that match to Atletico Madrid was something that he was not up with which Owen he was not prepared to put. And Emma Malone is going to call into us. We'll talk to Jonathan Wilson about that. Emma Malone is going to call into us to chat about Ireland Turkey, the fixture last night. A fixture that was always going to struggle to capture the imagination, but ended up struggling to capture the imagination. We'll hear what Emma has to say. Uh, don't worry, there are interesting things to say about it. Uh, we certainly hope so. Hopefully, Emma has some interesting stuff to talk about. But it's time now for Kennedy's report on sport. We spoke earlier on about, um, you know, Ronaldo. And just explain to me exactly what happened when you were watching the game. You said you were watching the game with your friends. Mm-hmm. On oh, an earlier show, yeah. That goal went in. And what happened? What was your reaction to his his, his reaction? To his re- the reaction to his reaction was, Ronaldo, come on. Yeah. This is, this is nonsensical. It was predictable. But nonsensical. We should take it back to when he started dribbling. You just knew all that mattered to Ronaldo at that stage. Possibly all that mattered to Ronaldo all of the night yeah. was that he was part, at least part architect of this victory and had he had his moment and he was in Lisbon. So the, the goal goes in, yeah. I think we all had the same reaction. The few of us sitting uh, sitting in my house and that was, Ronaldo, you, come on. You, can, you don't have to do this. You're part of a winning team. You don't have to rip the shirt off. You know full well that this is going to be the iconic image now, yeah. despite the fact that you had a really poor game, perhaps bottled it somewhat, yeah. and uh, now, now you're going to be seen as the hero. I felt a little bit. I, I kind of. I felt that at the time. I thought, oh come on, what are you doing? Mm. You know, I saw his shirt coming off, and you could see him run to stand, in, stand there in the sort of Balotelli so pose. It was more the Balotelli pose even than the taking the top off. Yeah. Whatever the top being off, it was the full-on Balotelli pose, which probably did. You see, Balotelli had scored both goals that day in when a Balotelli did World that, Cup semi-final. It was he, a he Euro, Euro semi-final. And the goal that he'd scored before he did that was maybe the best goal of the Euros. And it was also 2-0 to Italy against Germany. Mm. So it was a massive goal. And... Uh, you know, his, and it was also the first time anyone had had done that. Whereas when Ronaldo did, everyone was like, "Oh, he's done the Balotelli thing." I don't know. Maybe, maybe what we, the last fifteen seconds of what I've just said it shows I'm just watching too much football. It's getting too um, intertextual, let's say. But with uh, Ronaldo, I kind of thought, okay, I can, I can actually understand it. I mean, it was maddening to see him to see him do that. I mean, particularly imagine how the Atletico fans feel watching that. And it's clearly Diego Simeone didn't like it. I mean, I know there was this pretext that Rafael Varane had booted the ball at, at the Atletico Madrid technically, and that was kind of the pretext. That was just the thing that set him off, though. Really, the the reservoir rage that had built up that he had to give vent to, I think, largely filled up watching Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, come on, you've just scored a penalty. It's, you know, it's the fourth goal, the third goal in the second period of extra time. You know, I, I can't, I cannot take this I cannot take having watching you do this to me but from Ronaldo's point of view I can, I can really understand it because you know it's a, it's a, as you said what would people have been saying today about Ronaldo if he hadn't scored maybe people will say the same thing anyway but Ronaldo can always say look I've scored um, the statistics about it were you know that he was only the second player to score for two different clubs in the Champions League in the European Cup final uh, and the statistics actually became rewritten because the, the Belgrade and and Feyenoord player who had managed this feat in the 60s was so uh, ill-remembered that it be, people were like, we have to find a way. Oh, Ronaldo was actually the first player to score for two different winning teams mm. in Champions League finals. So that's the first 
uh, for Cristiano. But, you know, he's, he's a guy whose identity, his idea of himself is completely bound up with the notion of being the best footballer in the world. That's literally who he is. You know, he thinks of, you know, that photo that the, the Vogue magazine, Spanish Vogue, where he's there naked with uh, Irina Sheik, you know, his unbelievably beautiful supermodel girlfriend. This is who he is. You know, it's it's that's how he draws a sense of himself, of, of his, his self-identity. If he had failed in that final to score, if Gareth Bale had been the one who had won the final, Gareth Bale was the one whose goal won the final. But if Ronaldo had not only been peripheral, but hadn't even managed to score... It would have been a disgrace for him. Yeah, but I think you're even... He couldn't have, he couldn't have taken any pleasure I, I think in you're it. even underestimating the narcissistic element of this because you're arguing arguing from a base that... From the base idea that this was all building up and when he scored the goal, it erupted in this moment of joy. I don't even think there was that. I think it was pre-planned from at the... Maybe not even at the earliest. Probably pre-planned from the moment Gareth Bale scored that header. Yeah. The only thing left in Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo's mind was... How am I going to score a goal? How am I going to celebrate that goal? How yeah. am I going to make this all about me? So it wasn't just... I guess it does tie into what you're saying, but I, I would be amazed if the top coming off wasn't a part of his thought process, even as he dribbled into the box. Yeah. I say Ronaldo's... It's, it's the whole chess grandmaster idea again. I'd say he's thinking four, five, six yeah. steps ahead. He's done it so many times, yeah. you know. He, he knows he'll get the penalty, knows he'll score it, and then it's how he celebrated to the maximum effect. Yeah, I mean, because obviously the, the emotion, I don't, know, I don't know whether the emotion was fake or not. It seemed like it couldn't, you know, it, you couldn't possibly have that much emotion still. The emotion was the Sergio Ramos goal and the Bale goal, and then the Marcelo goal was was like, well, you know, that's it. You know, they think it's all over. It is now. And then Ronaldo was like, as though there was another, like England has, had made it 5-2 after that moment. You know what I mean? Um, and how could how could anyone possibly still be so joyful, having released all joy? And he didn't because you know, he didn't actually join in. I noticed that he didn't join in the bail celebration, but it turned out he didn't join in any of the celebrations until his own goal, which obviously <laughs> really? he joined in. He joined in for his own goal. I mean, you could point out that he had won the ball for, for he, he was actually back in the left-back position for Real Madrid, getting the ball in the move that was to lead up to the Bale goal. So maybe it was a case of, well, look, you know, I'm the guy who, I'm just the guy who shovels coal in the furnace of this thing, you know? Uh, some, of us has, some of us have to uh, have to keep the engine running while Gareth <laughs> Bale, the Gareth Bales of this world, grabbed the glory. But um, I think most players would have got, for most players, it would be enough to be part of a team that won. And to be part of a team that equalised in the last minute and scored a great goal to, to go 2-1 up, you know, when it looked like they were going to lose for so long. And they would be happy, they would be for they would be joining in, thinking, yes, La Decima. Ronaldo is not most players. And maybe it's that insane degree of personal ambition that he has that is largely responsible for the fact that he's such an outstanding player. Um, he actually can't be happy unless he, not only, winning doesn't isn't enough for him, he has to win and be the guy who wins it for his team. Carlo Ancelotti was dragged into the celebrations, <laughs> the now traditional... Uh... <laughs> Xavi Alonso is the, is the best counterpart to, to Ronaldo. I mean, he's a guy who's sitting in a suit. Yeah, that was one of the great subplots, yeah. Were you spotting that as you went on the big screen? Or were those, I don't know if those images no, were I, flashing I, up I, I didn't, saw it I didn't see. I, I, I saw that Alonso had, had jumped over the barriers and run to get involved. You know, but I, I'd seen Xavi Alonso... Right through the game, he was practically biting the shoulder of the I can't remember it was another player presumably he was with just literally head in his shoulder for large periods of the game as it looked like the Champions League was slipping away but he you know he wasn't even part of the team on the night but was you could see how happy he was to see the team in, in fairness when, when Ronaldo was out of the team for a while when he was injured he was celebrating all the goals and so on uh, Xabi Alonso was definitely playing up I and mean, did you see his his photograph that no. he tweeted He's like, it can't get any better than this. Ledesma. He does this a little bit, posts photographs of of the stadium hours after the game. It's not the first time he's done this. Um, but on this occasion, it was uh, uh, a picture of... Uh, it's taken from a position in the stands in Lisbon. He's got the European Cup sitting there, and it's just a picture of his feet crossed. Like, he's sitting with his feet up next to the trophy, his feet in their um, uh, intensely polished uh, black shoes, uh, next to the European Cup and in an empty stadium you, know, oh, yeah, you can't get any better than this um, but yeah those are some polished shoes he's got yeah I mean seriously he's he's polished them just before taking that 
that photograph. But he's not been on the grass and back. Yeah, he must have. There must have been. He must have wiped a few blades he's, of grass off. So uh, maybe they have. Maybe Real Madrid employ a shoe shine uh, boy to I don't know follow follow the camp around and just make sure nobody's nobody's scuffed. Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, who was, as I say, dragged in celebrations, thrown up in the air repeatedly, all, that, all those kind of things. Uh, judging by what you've been writing about the post-match press conferences, he seemed a bit nonplussed by the whole thing. He was just, yeah, he was saying, you know, this is football, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. At one point, someone asked him, I think, to, to compare it to 2005. Um, and he was like, you know, well, that night we didn't get any luck, and tonight we got a little bit of luck. So, you know... I, but but I remember when he came in first, he actually looked exactly the same as he had before the match in, the, when, in that in that press conference. You know, when I thought that he was looking a little bit surly, you know, he actually sat there with this kind of puss on, you know, uh, during the during the pre-match, which was which was Sergio Ramos and Iker Casillas doing a lot of talking before they left, and then Ancelotti sort of took over. And I didn't think he looked particularly happy to be there really mm-hmm. neither did he look there when he sitting there with the medal actually around his neck you know it wasn't a case of him smiling and laughing I mean I think the most euphoric person I've ever seen manager in one of these type of press conferences post victory uh, was probably Villas Boas in the Europa League you know after and he was just he you know was the happiest man alive I and mean, it was really obvious Roberto Di Matteo actually in, in Munich wasn't far off either and these are both really inexperienced managers who haven't been around the block as many times as Carlo Ancelotti. You know, he was kind of like, well, you know, I've won it. He knows that he could be easily sacked this time next year. And probably would have been sacked if Gareth Bale hadn't scored that header. Yeah. Uh, I do think he's the perfect manager for Real Madrid, actually. Yeah. I think he's, like, ideally suited to manage Real Madrid. He's, like, this calming, calming sort of presence. He's not going to cause fights, unnecessary fights. Real Madrid don't need any of that kind of stuff. You know, Jose Mourinho's high-level motivational tactics where you start a you strategically start all these interdecine battles in order to get everyone really hyped up and commit. they don't need that you know they've got these guys who are just above the level of ordinary players I mean you could see that in the in the extra time you know Atletico Madrid who've done everything this team you know these soldiers these humble uh, players who have just worked for each other and literally worked themselves almost to death they were gone they, they had nothing nothing more left to give. Bale, who'd had a terrible game, you know, and, and seemed to lose confidence as the game went on, as he missed uh, chances. All the Real Madrid players, I suppose, are rejuvenated. You can't underestimate the psychological effect of, of being the team that's, you know, great, we're playing extra time, as opposed to, oh, no, now we've got to play extra time. Um, and, and maybe that had something to do with it, but, you know, the physical mismatch of Gareth Bale against... Alderweireld at the at the end for the you know I mean I, I remember looking at it um, it was the, it was the bell goal and seeing this I mean first of all Di Maria comes through uh, a player who's injured Juan Fran who who you can't you can't really do anything to stop Di Maria Di Maria goes past him like Di Maria knew this guy's injured I just need to get the ball I'll run at this guy and I'll I'm definitely going to beat him mm-hmm. and got in uh, Courtois makes the save but then. Alderweireld, who's who's been kind of watching the ball, turns around and what does he see? This big Welsh dragon flying through the air, you know. And actually, he just flopped to the ground. Alderweireld, he didn't even really try to make a challenge. He just fell to the ground and watched this thing happen that he couldn't stop. And you thought, you know, I mean, ultimately, this is what happens when you've got 100 million euro players. Sometimes they're just going to be unstoppable. And I think that's the case with Real Madrid, um, you know, with Gareth Bale. Still, that's 110 minute, remember. I mean, I, I, I actually was surprised to see the, the ball go in. I mean, you know, we were we were sort of at that end of the field anyway, so we had quite a good view of it. But I, did, I thought he was probably, when he actually put it away, I was really impressed. But, you know, it was right into the top corner. I mean, he just, because he was running so fast at the, at the ball. It was not an easy... No, the error. angle wasn't great. It was mainly really about... Old-fashioned neck strength, Ken. Yeah, I'd say Gareth Bale is a type of footballer, almost definitely, who probably from quite a young age was practicing headers, practicing his leaping, mm. doing the kind of stuff that Bobby Charlton used to do. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing that's not the sort of you know Bobby Perez would be the would be the opposite of that. He's like, well, I don't really like heading the ball, so you know what? I'm just not gonna not gonna practice. And any time Robert Perez ever got a headed chance, usually if if that had been Robert Perez, it's still gonna be one all at the end of it. But the point is, the 110 minute of the game. 
everyone's been working so hard. You can see the players are dropping all over the field, mainly Atletico players, to be fair. But Bale has got the strength still and the you know to, to be able to pull that out, the run, the jump, the header at that at that moment. Most guys can't do that. But You've been unconvinced. Sorry to cut across. You've been unconvinced about Bale this season, even after the goal against Barcelona. I'm not sure you've seen him as a runaway success, but he's surely done enough now, even with those two massive goals yes. in their biggest games of the season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Marco were describing him as, it's impossible to remember a player being as decisive in his debut season, um, which is a big... I mean, you can imagine what they've been writing if that, if if Sergio Ramos hadn't scored. You know, <laughs> oh, Bale, disaster! What were we thinking paying £100 million for this clown? Uh, but now he's the most decisive uh, debut player ever in La Liga. Um, I mean, I can think of Ronaldo, uh, both Cristiano and the, the other one, um, who both had better debut seasons, I think, in La Liga than Gareth Bale has managed. But uh, he has managed to score the goals in the big game. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's not what it's all about. But look, I mean, Sergio Ramos a couple of weeks ago was. Uh, was making a complete hames of a situation against Celta Vigo where he, he tried to dribble past the guy, fell over, appealed to the referee for a free kick. The guy just ran in. Um, Charles, I think it was, scores the goal. Celta Vigo beat Real Madrid. They're, they're you know, completely puncturing their title challenge. Um, disaster. Mm. Here he is now, and literally they're going to be calling him the chief for the rest of his life. That's... You know, that, I suppose that means that That's you're being whispered final. into his ear. You're the chief. You are the chief of the decima. Um, and, you know, see, well, that's the kind of thing. I mean, imagine Ronaldo hearing that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Thinking, no, no. I mean, if it hasn't been for me, 17 goals I've scored in this championship. Well, 16 goals until the, the one in the final. A record. You know, he's level with Messi, 67 goals in the Champions League. If it wasn't for me, you guys aren't going to be here. And Sergio Ramos is the chief. These things mightn't seem like they matter, but once you're actually in the Real Madrid squad, if you actually are Cristiano Ronaldo, that really does matter. You know, you want to be the. If, I mean, if you're not, then it's all been in vain in a way. You know, he's not. He doesn't even be like Steve Finnan or something. You know, and he's like, I played in the Champions League final, and my team won. You know, that's that doesn't excite Cristiano Ronaldo. Diego Simeone had calmed down sufficiently to actually give a coherent press conference. Yeah, I mean Simeone. And and he and the one major thing that he had to address, I guess, was the Diego Costa thing, because that was a really bad decision by him. And especially when you saw how well Adrian actually played. I mean, Adrian was a substitute who came on after eight and a half minutes for uh, for Diego Costa and played really well. I mean, he, you know, in a kind of one of these typical tankless centre forward. You know, the kind of the kind of role that you wish you had Dirk Kout in your team to play. He's never actually going to score a goal, but. He's going to be there. He's just going to be a tireless presence. And Adrian really did that. You know, I thought he was he played well. He was up for the game. And he should have started. Um, and Simeone said, look, it was, my, it was my call. You know, I said, if, if he didn't, if he had to come off injured, then it shows that he clearly wasn't as well as I had thought he was after training the previous night. And I hadn't watched that training. I had watched that training and thought, he's trundling around. You know, he's not, he, he hasn't done anything. There was one time when he sprinted, literally one time. I mean, come on! You know, it's not. As soon as I mean, I think he was involved in a in the in the actual final. He, he there was a sort of a tussle with Sergio Ramos, um, where he you know I think the ball may have gone for a corner in the end, but Costa just he it wasn't Diego Costa. And Simeone said we looked at each other, and I think we just both knew. And I didn't want to waste any more time based playing with ten players, so I said, oh, "Dear, you got to come off." I don't think Costa was happy about it, but come on, you know, you can't, you can't. He can't beat Remedy in the Champions League final with 10 men from the beginning. Um, but, you know, felt you felt, I mean, they were asking him, are you sad, are you sad? And he said, no, no, I'm not sad. And he's like, I'm bitter, though. I'm really bitter that we couldn't manage to win. Um, I'm not quite sure of the fine verbal distinction in Spanish. You know, I mean, I'm, I only have can go on the translator. Apparently, bitter is more acceptable. Bitterness is more acceptable than sadness <laughs> at a moment like this. I'm um, too strong to be sad, but I'm... Um, you know, he said the lad, the lad Varane, you know, uh, he's a great player, but it's, it's it's sad. It's just sad when you see a young lad behaving that way. In a, in a, in a what was the like specific that. issue? He kicked the ball at them. He get Varane, in the celebration of the 
goal, booted a ball apparently towards the. Now, I think I think Simeone was spoiling for an excuse to get on the field and start, <laughs> you know, start intimidating some guys. So what? You may have won the European Cup, but we all know, you know, if we had a fight here, which this thing is only a metaphor for. If we actually did have a fight here, you all know, all of you guys know that I'd be the last man standing. Was Diego Simeone as intimidating a player? He's, he must be the first football man ever to become more intimidating as a manager <laughs> than he was. Well, maybe Alex Ferguson. Alex Ferguson supposedly had razor, razor-like elbows yeah. in his playing days. He was a he was a hard man, Simeone, but he was a cunning, a cunning type of. I mean, the, the moment that he's famous for is, is the Beckham thing, yeah. you know. So that shows a quick-thinking, um, a cunning. Uh, a, a low rat-like cutting, uh, as this might have been described in the English sports pages in '98. Uh, you know, he a guy who's got the presence of mind to to see that he he can just get the golden boy sent off here for, uh, mm. you know, golden boy's mind wasn't working that quick. But you know, Simeone was a, a midfield enforcer. You know, not a um, cartoonishly aggressive or violent uh, player. Yeah. But, you know, he's obviously able to project a certain amount of male dominance. And he, he showed that at the end. It was important for him to show that. You know, there's the Hemingway line about a man, a man, a real man, that is. I mean, when we say a man, we understand it to mean a real man. Because if you didn't mean a real man, would you use the word, would you use the word a man? No. You'd use some other word, you know, a coward. But a man can be destroyed but not defeated. Was Diego Simeone defeated? Sure, Real Madrid might have slammed four goals past his team <laughs> in the end. But... Was he what was he gonna stand there and take it? No. Was he gonna be dragged away, foaming and gesticulating and uh, threatening uh, threatening to kill uh, Real Madrid <laughs> players and, and members of the officials? Yes. And was that ultimately a more dignified way according to his code of masculinity to exit that arena? Yes, I believe it was. Do you wanna talk about any non Champions League issues before we Um well we should talk talk a bit about Ireland. I mean the the thing that, that struck me about it was they actually played reasonably well in the first half. Second half was just a total non-event. You know, was it in the in the? I mean, I know there was two goals in the second half and only one in the first, but in the in the way of these things, the second half just with the substitutions, the pattern, the, whatever pattern the game had been developing is just out the window, and it's just like well, it doesn't nothing. Almost nothing that happens here even matters. I mean, you could see that Hulahan, I mean, Hulahan's ball to Walters was brilliant for the for the goal. I thought Walters took the goal well, although the defending was was almost as bad from Turkey as our defending had been on their goals. Um, I thought maybe our I thought our play was a bit um, bit one dimensional in terms of um, it, not just in the fact that they, there was a lot of long balls, which you're going to expect from Ireland. I mean, the worst the, the worst moment of the game for me almost was the misunderstanding between Delaney and Whelan. Did you see? That? You know, you know the one I'm, I'm talking about. That, so. This was uh, Delaney has the ball, uh, central defender. Um, uh, you know, Whelan, the midfield anchorman, is standing just in front of him, you know, five yards in front of him. And just at the moment that Delaney rolls the ball to Whelan, his midfielder, who's, who's presumably hungry for the ball to distribute it, turns out Whelan's just turned away and he's walking away this up the pitch. This could well be a hangover from the Trapattoni days. Oh, Whelan has forgotten that you're allowed to actually pick the ball up off the defenders and move on. I thought Wes Whelan's influence waned in the second half. I don't know if that's because Ireland started getting boxed in a little bit more or if they're if Ireland's flagging play resulted from Wes Hoolan mm. struggling a bit energy-wise or whatever it was, but one way or the other, he had less influence and he's the only r- real central ball player we have. So. He really is. And, uh, I mean, okay, maybe if McCarthy's back in the team, you know, I don't think he, he's not a ball player like Hoolan. You know, he doesn't have the kind of quick feet or the quick you know, quick brain. That's maybe maybe being a bit demeaning with James McCarthy. He's a solid passer. You know, he, he'll, he'll kind of keep things ticking over. Um, Hulahan is a little bit more inventive. I mean, the game, I think it was a little bit disappointing. Just the finishing is bad. But Martin O'Neill's whole thing afterwards was, uh, I thought he kind of affected a little bit of anger, like, oh, you know, this is I'm not going to put up with this. this is, I'm not going to accept this. But then having sort of struck the pose of anger, then stuck in a lot of praise of the team, like, oh, we dominated, we created loads of chances. You know what I mean? It was an interesting approach. I, can't, can't, I thought, yeah, okay. Um, I I'd like to think that he was a little bit angry. I, I kind of, I don't know if it's just a personal thing on it. It may just reflect my, my inner mood. Maybe of, of no relevance really to anything that's going on in Irish football. But I kind of want the team to, I want a bit of pressure on these guys now. I'm, you know, we could, you know, we were looking at the, the crowd and the, the sort of occasion was so flat and you get the sense of the team almost drifting, drifting further away from the centre of 
mm. public consciousness, you know. I'm kind of thinking maybe would it be such a bad thing if, you know, if a fire was lit under these guys a little bit? It, would that, is that just as the expression of some sadistic impulse that, like, if, uh, you know, if they can't win matches, then at least I want them to be punished? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's but, the end of your report on sport. I knew the place. Clough, that he calls me a rabbit, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You, the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way to win it better. Why there's not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope we're, I've got. We're only, we're only lost four matches. Then, but that, well, I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Calls me Ravi. Good luck. Now that may, that might be you know aiming for utopia, and it might be might mean being a little bit stupid, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Jonathan Wilson is ready to talk to us about the Champions League final, Jonathan. And the first and most obvious question is: Has the competition been won? by the best team in Europe this year? Um, possibly. Um, I, I think it's probably a season in which there hasn't been one obvious outstanding team. Um, but, you know, I think Real Madrid are, are clearly one of the best teams in Europe. And, and I think, given the way the game went on Saturday, I don't really think you can, you can say they're anything other than, than worthy winners. And they have, you know, they, they, they did beat Bayern Munich very convincingly in the semi-final. And Bayern Munich are probably the team who, at the start of the season, you, you thought were the side to beat. The margins are so fine here, John, that maybe it's at Champions League final level that you really see it. If the goal doesn't go in, Carlo Ancelotti possibly loses his job if the equaliser hadn't gone in by Ramos. Gareth Bale is seen as having flopped on the big occasion. Cristiano Ronaldo, likewise. It seems amazing that we can change all those judgments based on Sergio Ramos being an absolute genius. <laughs> well, I'm not sure we should change those judgments. I think those judgments are pretty accurate, I think. Um... I don't think Bale had a pretty bad game, but he, you know he did miss the three chances. I thought Ronaldo was 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 pretty poor by by his standards of of the full game. Um, but yeah, having said that, the way the second half went, the, the goal sort of was coming. So yeah, okay, Atletico could have held out for two more minutes, but on the other hand, they could have conceded ten minutes and a half and, and been beaten three one in normal time. So um, I, I don't think it's one of those sort of freakish goals that came from nowhere and changed history. I think it was a goal that it would have been freakish if it hadn't gone in. Yeah, although, I mean, when you look at the, the game, Bale, the problem with Bale to me seemed to, seemed to be that he actually got worse as it went on, like, as though each miss was, was eroding his confidence more. And, and by the end of the 90 minutes, it was as though he could barely uh, control the ball. Uh, and I suppose the goal gave him a, a real sense of confidence. But uh, Ronaldo in particular was, was just so peripheral in the game. How, how is it that he struggled to make any impact on the 90 minutes? I think it can happen no matter how, how great a player you are. Um, you, you don't play 100% in 100% of games. And especially you know, a team like Atletico, who are, who are so good at, at um, closing down the opposition's main threat, they, they clearly recognise him as that main threat, which makes it all the harder for him. Um, I mean, it was, it was a criticism that was always levelled at Thierry Henry, that, oh, he never does it in finals. Well, a lot of players don't do it in finals. You sort of notice it more with the better players. But who knows what space he's creating for others. I mean, Maybe it's the case, and I'm not necessarily saying this is true, but it seems to me to make sense that Bale got the three clear chances that he did get, partly because Ronaldo was, was occupying defenders on the other side of the pitch. Yeah, maybe you could argue that, um, maybe you could make the case that, that Di Maria had a little bit more space. Di Maria was, was the man of the match. Although, I mean, the fact of it is, it seemed to me that Di Maria, when he, got, uh, when he won possession, was able to create opportunities for himself with the kind of uh, tight, dribbling skills that um, were just not in evidence when Cristiano Ronaldo got the ball. But I think that's the case of having acceleration room in front of him. I mean, that, that, that's the key thing for, for a particular type of dribbler, that they have to be going at a certain pace when they hit the defender, so that a little jink takes them past the defender, but doesn't change the momentum. And I think you know, the way the game was structured was Ronaldo, when he got the ball, was already quite high up the pitch. He had players tight on him. He never had that acceleration room. Whereas be, partly because he'd taken defenders out of the way, when Di Maria, who I thought was, was brilliant, I think he's had an excellent season, when he got the ball, he did have space in front of him. And particularly the, the second Real Madrid goal, you know, when he had the shot that the, the Bale eventually followed in, 
you know, was a great example of him using that space. And I think what, what De Maria is very, very good at, he's very good at judging when to carry the ball and when to lay the ball off. And I think that role that he's, he's taken on at Real Madrid, that I think he was already doing for Argentina, as being that sort of link player between the midfield three and the forward three, I think that's a vital skill, like that judgment of when to run with it, when to release it. And I think he, he probably does it as well as anybody, if not better than anybody else. We're glossing around the main story here, though, aren't we, guys? Ken, what did you say Casillas called um, Sergio Ramos the effing chief yeah. uh, when they were cupping each other at the end of the uh, the regulation period? He's a, he's an extraordinary sort of player, Jonathan, and Ken has his opinions on him. But uh, Real Madrid have a lot to thank Sergio Ramos for for this decima over the last couple of games. Yeah, they do. I, mean, I think it's, what, six goals in the last seven games, having scored something like seven in, in the rest of his career put together. Which is an astonishing record that when they when they needed somebody to step forward, he did step forward, and yeah, you know, I, I, maybe it's something that we we occasionally sort of gets lost. That actually having great spirit, having great personality, having a great character is a is a huge thing for a side, and I think it has a multiplicatory effect. That his example just makes everybody else play that sort of five ten percent better because you, you see that he's still driving. He hasn't lost faith. It would have been very very easy for Real Madrid. Having missed all those chances, having hammered on the door for you know forty-five minutes and not scored, to sort of think, well, maybe it's just not our night. But yeah, he kept going, and and ultimately he he did get the goal almost as much on on willpower as anything else. Is he in fact the foremost all-round footballer in Europe? <laughs> um, probably. Well, I don't know what he is to be honest, because he's not he's not really a defender, and he's certainly not any other position on the pitch. He's yeah. Just a, it's just a big beating heart on legs that's very good in the air. <laughs> that is an interesting point, though. I mean, the fact that he isn't, he isn't really a defender. Um, maybe, though, he's the future of defending. Um, you know, a, a player who isn't maybe that good at the sort of basic skills that previous generations would have taken for granted, but has got just a lot of ability, particularly a lot, a lot of ability in possession. Some of the passes that he was arrogantly stroking around uh, the field. Um, you know, it was real kind of Steven Gerrard stuff, but it was fantastic technical ability uh, from a central defender. Maybe this type of ability is going to become uh, more what you expect to see in central defenders of the biggest team rather rather than, um, you know, them actually being defenders. Well, I think that's a key point, you say, of the biggest teams, because I think if he was playing like that at a slightly lower level, those defensive inadequacies would be shown up because you have to do more defending. So I think it's a, it's, a, it's actually a real problem for, for the better sides that there's sort of this perception, well, not just perception, I think over the last sort of decade or so, it's absolutely essential that at least one of your centre-backs is very, very good on the ball. And, and that, that, I think, is why we've seen so many, well, you know, what we think of as holding midfielders playing as defenders. The problem then comes when in, the, in those games when they do have to defend. So that's great for you know, 34 or 38 league games. It's great for the Champions League up until the quarterfinal, maybe the semi-final. And then you suddenly play against a decent team. You have to do a bit of defending, and you've even if you used to be good at it, you've maybe forgotten how to do it. That you're just not used to doing it, and I think you know, that becomes very, very difficult. So I think a player like Sergio Ramos can only work if he's got an exceptional defender alongside him. Um, now, whether Pepe really is that defender, whether Varane is that defender, I mean, I think Varane's got more chance in the future of being that defender than Pepe has. But I, you know, I, I think that type of centre back can only really work in the long term with a, a, you know, a more orthodox defender alongside them. There was an extraordinary quote from Ika Casillas after the game where he said, this is bigger than being the world champion. We've been waiting so long. We'd promised fans we'd win La Decima. Bigger than being world champion is, is, uh, is a strange one, especially from a man who's previously won two Champions Leagues. Um, is this an indication of how the players actually rate the trophies or is Ika Casillas admitting that it was actually Barcelona that won the World Cup? <laughs> um. Well, I guess it depends. You know, if you as a player are judging yourself on winning something on ability, then the team that wins the Champions League is better than the team that wins the World Cup. You know, it's, I think that's been the case for 20 or 30 years. The World Cup, in terms of quality of football, is a lesser tournament. Now, you can make, make the argument it's a, it's a greater tournament in the sense that you know, it, it brings the whole world together, that somehow playing for your nation is, is something more special than, than playing for a club side that you can you know, shift between at will. Um, but I, I, I sort of, I, you know, I, I get that from a professional who wants to judge himself against the very best, that, that the Champions League means more than the World Cup would. And I think there's, you know, there's just a lot of luck involved in the World Cup. I mean, we talked about the fine margins of 
of a Champions League. But at least you can do it every season. At least you've got, uh, what is it? Um, uh, 13 you know, games or something. Yeah, it would be, what, 12 group games? 17 games, I think so, it is, isn't it? Something like Anyway, you've got a, a significant number of matches to prove yourself over, whereas a World Cup, you're talking seven, seven games. So I, 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 can, I can see the argument that the Champions League is a, is a greater tournament purely on, on quality of football and how hard it is to win. Jonathan, Diego Simeone, it was, uh, well, he mightn't say it wasn't the biggest day of, of the season, given that they had to win the league. But in terms of how he conducted himself at the end, and maybe more particularly his decision to play Diego Costa, which ultimately seemed to cost them quite badly, could it be said that maybe he let the occasion get to him somewhat? I mean, I, I think the, the, the Costa decision, it's very difficult. I mean, if, if, if Costa had played well for, for an hour then you'd say, okay, that was a gamble worth taking. Uh, it obviously went wrong, and since then, from that point of view, he, he got the decision wrong. But, I mean, I think it's difficult to, to, to blame him for that. And of course, it cost him a substitution, and maybe that contributed to the fatigue. But, in- Jonathan, he would have been one of the, maybe the first player in the history of sport to perform well while having a ripped hamstring. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, it's a grade one tear. So it's, it's not a big tear. People have played with strained hamstrings before. Uh, if I, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but if he if he looked good in training on the on the Friday, and you know, I saw him attempt one sprint and seemed to pull that off perfectly well on Friday, so I, I don't know, but uh, I wouldn't be too critical of that. I mean, when when you've got such a small squad and when he's clearly such a, a, a key presence, I, I, I can understand why you take the gamble. And there's all I guess there's almost a sense that at least if you play him from the start, you play him till he's till he's broken, whereas if you bring him off the bench. And he breaks down after five minutes or ten minutes. That that's actually far more costly because you might not have any more subs to bring on. Um, so I, I wouldn't be too critical of that. As for going on the pitch and and, and confronting Varane, you know, he, he I'm sure he will be banned for that, and he should be banned for that. That's that's not something that should he. I mean, everybody enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we did enjoy it, but um, we enjoyed it because it's rare. I think that becomes a common thing, as it as it is in the Libertadores. Um, you know the the post-match brawl in the final is almost as much part of the ritual as the gift of a trophy. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure we, we, we really want that as part of our culture. Without, you know, without being too sanctimonious about it, yes, of course it's great fun to see a man in a suit with a ridiculous haircut jabbing a finger in a player's face who, as, as a player, looks utterly terrified. I think you saw the picture of Luka Modric, just sort of wide-eyed, as if, what on earth is going on? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it added to the gaiety of the occasion, but I'm not sure it's something that um, should escape unpunished. J- uh, Diego Simeone said after the game that he was going to be straight back into work on Monday. Uh, at the moment, he's, he's probably sitting down with Caminero, uh, discussing who's going to be in, who's going to be out. This is what he said he was going to do before he goes on holiday. But if you were advising Diego uh, Simeone, would you say that you should be one of those out the door? Uh, strike while the iron is hot, your stock is high, and um, you're never going to win anything else with Atletico Madrid? Yeah, I probably would. I mean, I, I guess it depends what jobs are available. And um, so, yeah, you, you begin the preparation for next season as if you're going to be there. But, yeah, you keep an eye out. And if if any decent jobs do come up, then, I would, you know, think very seriously about them because I don't, I, you know, I don't see how you can go better than that with this Atletico. You win the league, you get to within two minutes of winning the Champions League, but there aren't many more mountains to climb with, with a squad that's limited, with, with resources that's limited. All right, Jonathan, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Cheers, thanks. Just back to Iker Casillas' quote, I was quite taken with that one. You have to be, A, a brilliant footballer, but be in a somewhat privileged position to be able to choose which the best feeling is winning the Champions League. For you. How many times can see us? One and now, quite a few times. Three. That'll be three times, or uh, as compared to the World Cup, which he may well be about to win for a second time. Not that many players have won both, I suppose. Um, but so, so when one who has speaks out and tells you which one is better, then I suppose who are we? To he is also dribble? making that comment the night of or the day after winning the most recent competition. So I guess the same thing for a supporter. But there might be a little bit of um, a feeling that we always the, the big challenge for Luis Aragonés and other Real Madrid managers, uh, the Spain managers, was to finally weld together the, you know, the Real Madrid and the Barcelona players. And the idea was there that the Barcelona players were not going to be as connected to the idea of playing for Spain. But it could be that the more 
the further down the road it's gone, the more Spain have become like Barcelona. And maybe Casillas is a little bit less connected to the Spanish national team as he is to Real Madrid, which he just lives and breathes every day. That might be complete well, nonsense, but... Yeah, I know. I think there is an element of that. But actually, I think what's going on here is uh, the fact that it's always personal. I mean, you think of these guys as being, um, you know, I don't know, maybe people think of footballers as, oh, we, I want to play for my country and, you know, the shirt means a lot. And this, the colours, all the Atletico players talking about defending these colours and maybe there are fleeting moments when when players do start to think of the team as something higher than themselves and it's something they're actually... But mainly they're thinking about themselves. Mm-hmm. And look at Casillas and what happened in his career over the last two years. Um, Jose Mourinho had, would try to destroy him, you know? Jose Mourinho booted him out of the team, signed Diego Lopez to replace him, um, humiliated him, you know, basically said things to, to suggest that he just wasn't, wasn't really all that. I'd like a goalkeeper to be able to command his area, things like that, you know? I, I want a goalkeeper who might save a few balls. <laughs> you know, this, this kind of stuff. Yeah, a good goalkeeper, something and, like that. You know, he, he tried to grind him into the dust and, and, and wipe him out. And, you know, imagine what that would have been like to go through from Casillas' point of view. I mean, maybe Casillas had, had become a little bit self-regarding, a little bit arrogant. You know, he has been living in a bubble where he's a, he's a national hero. You know, everyone's been telling him how great he is since he was 18 years old. So a very new experience to be to, to have a manager try and destroy you. Yeah. Um, and an unpleasant experience for any player. And then, uh, obviously, he managed to see Mourinho off in the end. He's But he didn't really get back in the team. See, Mourinho still cost him that. They're playing Diego Lopez in the league, you know, and Casillas in the Champions League. It was like, the you know, the Cup League thing where they play the sub the substitute keeper in the cup, you know, to keep him happy. It was a, a bit like that. I'm sure he's using Casillas in the Champions League. I always League. assumed that Casillas had some sort of say in that, that he wanted just to play in the Champions League. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that. I'd say he'd I'd say he'd quite happily play in the league as well. I mean mostly what Casillas does is stand there and watch the game with everyone else, you know, all the other fans. Um he, he often doesn't have a great deal to do in these Real Madrid matches. It's not the most physically taxing being the Real Madrid goalkeeper is not is not like um being the Atletico Madrid um, you know, like Gabby, or even like the Barcelona goalkeeper. No, well, he's Valdez expected to play. He played in his heyday, uh, ran not far less than some of the strikers. Yeah, so uh, so I think what I'm saying is effectively is that Casillas for Casillas, this is this is sweeter because of what he's been through, because of the fact that maybe there was a time in the you know a year ago or eighteen months ago maybe where he thought my career actually I may I may end up having to leave Real Madrid because of this monster who's managing. The club and the fact that he knew that Jose Mourinho uh, was there watching. Well, Mourinho may have been off in 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 a in a crisis zone with the World Food Program aff- affecting dis- disinterest in Real Madrid. You know, I wouldn't watch that. You know, if Real Madrid were playing at the bottom of my garden, I'd draw the curtains. Yeah. Says Jose Mourinho. But we all know that he knows that these guys, Ramos and Casillas, his enemies, have gone and won the thing that he couldn't win with them. And from all those points of view, from for, for purely personal reasons, this may be the, the best trophy that Cassie has ever won. Irish Times football correspondent Emmett Malone is in studio to have a look at a couple of the stories surrounding the friendly defeat against Turkey last night. Emmett, thanks for popping down to us, first of all. Yeah, it's great. Uh, reading your reports, it seemed... Well, Martin O'Neill, first of all, just to give a quote from him afterwards, uh, just in the sense of the occasion and the crowd, he said, I was actually delighted with the crowd. It's hard-earned money, and they parted with it. Um, based on your report, it seems that you're actually somewhat surprised at how few people showed up even even though it was an end of season friendly you felt maybe there could have been a few more out yeah, there yeah it's difficult to tell uh, it's difficult to tell virtually everything associated with these things because the FEI claim numbers after these games and it's not entirely clear what they're claiming those numbers based on essentially they gave the, the crowd last night at 25,191 that's virtually spot on half the stadium uh, it certainly didn't look that way from, from where I was sitting um, I'm looking across at the east end the upper deck of which was you know very very empty empty um, for that to be very empty the rest of it had to be two thirds full it, it just didn't look that way now I can't see the west uh, lower from where I am and it's difficult enough to see behind the press box um, but it sounded like a hugely optimistic uh, assessment of the numbers to me now there's a couple of factors in that they give away quite a few tickets uh, all the time now you know you constantly hear of, of clubs getting free tickets you run into people whose teams have been brought along for free uh, I'm involved in a charity to get some free tickets um, uh, what else? Uh, and obviously, then last week, most startlingly enough of all, 
um, they had this promotion where you could just log on to uh, Ticketmaster with a particular link and a, and a code word, and um, and you got a free family ticket of, of four tickets. Yeah. Just, yeah, there was now I don't know how many of those they gave away, but they were certainly I got one for my for my wife and kids, and uh, I certainly wasn't the only one. So I guess the point here is that it's not never too surprising when not that many people want sure. to fork out a lot of money for yeah. or whatever amount of money. But if there are if those figures are buttressed by all these free tickets going around, given that the big idea around O'Neill and particularly Keane's yeah. involvement was that it was going to get bums on seats for these less desirable fixtures. Um, that doesn't, well, it didn't happen. Absolutely. I, I think yesterday. that's the, I think that's the case. And and I do think that the, you know, O'Neill made the point last, last night that the crowds would be bigger for the competitive games. Well, of course, I mean, they, they, they'd have been, they'd have been, uh, they'd have been bigger in any case. Um, the estimates of what it costs to pay off Trapattoni and his, uh, you know, management team, very widely but you know you're certainly talking six figures and you're probably talking high six figures and um, that's quite an investment for not such a great return we've, we've seen so far obviously if the results are good the results are good the results so far have not been good uh, O'Neill said last night that he preferred the team to be challenged and uh, and that would give it an opportunity to improve rather than picking easy games but we do have a, a problem looming down the line here in terms of our world ranking because the draw for the, for the uh, uh, next World Cup will be done on world ranking ranking now there's, there's time obviously but uh, we're in a tricky enough uh, qualification group all of these are going to count down down the line we're slipping and slipping and slipping in the world ranking and that becomes um, a downward spiral it's a downward spiral that, that's difficult to reverse it's not a huge problem but it is as you say in terms of the Trapattoni thing the change of management I'm sure the FEI must have expected more of, of a boost than they've got here mm. we don't know how many people paid into that game last night but it's clearly not a huge number and you're still stuck with the with, with the situation which seems to prevail that it makes more economic sense for the FAI to play games in London or New York than it does in Dublin in front of their own fans. Do you think that it hurts the uh, team? I mean, I, I get the impression that when you when you walk out into a stadium like that, okay, it is an end of season friendly. You know, it's not it's not the biggest occasion in football. Yeah. But when you walk out into a, into a largely empty stadium, you know, there's no atmosphere. It's difficult, maybe, to think of yourself as being part of a big team, you know, for, the, for these for the players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I think it's. I think. I think it does a, a negative effect on, on, on for everybody, and I think again, it's a, a downward spiral. I think you, if you go back ten years to when every single game in Lansdowne Road sold out because there was this, you know, you had all these block bookers, and everyone was terrified of really seriously missing out for the one game every two years, whether it was France or Germany or Italy. Um, so everybody went to all the games, and were essentially paying huge amounts of money mm. um, to be there for the big nights in Lansdowne Road. But if the if the place is full and it's under lights and there's an atmosphere and everybody gets more of a buzz out of it so they, they're more willing to play along with this but at, at some point it was the redevelopment of the stadium you know the Vantage Club tickets paid a big part in it because once the FAI started having to dump unsold Vantage Club tickets on the market at discount rates immediately they were in trouble mm. but, but there was a much wider sense that Jesus I can just pick and choose on these things I don't have to come to every game anymore I can dip in dip out I'm still if I put a bit of effort into it going to get tickets for Germany which only barely sold out uh, last year I And mean, has there been a maybe an overstatement of how much the excitement around the Roy Keane appointment would actually translate into people forking out to go to matches. I, I think absolutely. I think, and that's absolutely natural. I mean, how, how tangible is the Roy Keane factor once you're inside a ground having paid he doesn't do a lot. 30 He's quid? It's true. there on the kind of yeah. behind the manager. Uh, so I mean, look, he's good box office for us when he talks to us. He's 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 entertaining and he's interesting and stuff like that. But really, yeah, his impact is is what exactly in terms of well, how much how much of your of your thirty quid uh, would you pay to be in the same stadium as Roy Keane sitting in the dugout? Mm. Um, it doesn't it doesn't uh, do do very much for you. And I, and we we all we talked about this before, and you've talked about it with other people many many times. But I mean, you know, Martin O'Neill was not going to be somebody who. Who you know transformed the the, the style of play uh, to such an extent that it was going to suddenly become utterly compelling? Um, you know, we hope that over time he's going to make them better at winning games that they previously weren't winning, um, uh, and there'll be more of an emphasis on winning rather than not losing. But you know, it, it, I think in financial terms, which is when 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 Trapattoni was on the verge of uh, uh, of going. First of all, when we were in the Faroe Islands, and it was all the talk that he was going to be sacked. But then later, when he actually did go, when you talk to people inside the camp, when you talk to people who were close to the FAI or or, or working for it or whatever, 
what it all came down to was money, numbers, bums on seats, you mm. know, you know, if we pay this guy a million quid to go away, how much of it will we get back at the next friendly? And, and I don't think the numbers will have really worked out quite the way they hoped. Do you think that they would be worried at this point about the prospect of, of Keane actually deciding, you know what, um, being the Ireland assistant manager, <laughs> I mean, you could see him in, that, yeah. in the game yesterday, you know, the, and, the, and the sort of looking around this largely empty bowl. Um, uh, he does have the prospect, it seems, possibly of being the Celtic manager or he's somebody they might be interested in. There's definitely interest in him. I mean, Martin O'Neill was talking about this the other day. He said, you know, he's been linked with jobs. I wouldn't stand in his way. I wouldn't really be standing in his way if he wants to leave. Um, that maybe they would be concerned that... Uh, that that he might, he, he might I'm not so sure that they would be terribly concerned. I mean, he's 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 O'Neill's appointment, um, and I'm not sure that the FAI particularly cares. And and I and I suspect they might care less after the last few games and seeing that really there isn't this enormous Roy factor at the friendlies that, you know, I think uh, Delaney has come out of it well in terms of, you know, being seen to rebuild those bridges and exactly, and and he certainly milked that for all it was worth. But, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was something that a lot of us didn't think would happen and fair dues to all concerned. Um, But really that's been done. And and if Roy leaves the camp now, O'Neill gets in a new assistant. And I don't think in any great, you know, in the great scheme of things, the FAI is hugely worse off. They may even save a few bob because they're probably paying Roy more than a comparable kind of uh, uh, potential assistant manager. In terms of Celtic, I've, I, I can't see why Celtic would appoint Roy Keane. Uh, his managerial track record so far is very poor. Um, but it's possible, obviously, there's a bit of a wow factor there. I would have thought Celtic are a bit above requiring a bit of a wow factor. I mean, they, well, they, I, they, they've just had a manager leave because effectively he felt that he wasn't really being challenged anymore. Yeah, well, uh, look, uh, yeah, absolutely. And Roy, but at the stage that Roy is in, is sort of rebuilding his his managerial credibility. And if he goes to um, if he goes to Celtic, maybe that's the, you know the sitting duck he needs to you know rebuild. But you know, it, it didn't do much for Liam Brady, you know, when he tried it. Um, so um, look, I mean, we'll 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 see. Uh, I think that the FEI O'Neill has said that he won't stand in 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 um, in in Roy's way, and I certainly think that's the the case. But we were out there the other day, or for two or three days, uh, asking first O'Neill and then the following day Roy about it. And neither of them sounded like there really actually was any interest. They were both making the point, you know, at length that really when we talked about speculation in some sort of, you know, disembodied third party sort of way, that we were the ones who were speculating. And they did have a bit of a point. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything firmer than that from, from, from Scotland to say that Celtic are going to offer him the job. Is there much about the performance that would give you cause for optimism? Certainly, Martin O'Neill <laughs> was pretty clear that we do have to start winning games. It isn't, yeah. even though the performance is pretty good. And to have more possession than Turkey isn't the type of thing we would usually do. So there, there, there seemed to be some good things going on. Yeah, I thought, I thought we passed the ball around a bit reasonably well. I thought that we made uh, probably less um, uh, mistakes on the ball and giving it away so cheaply than, than we ha- have had a tendency to do. I don't think, I mean, I thought Turkey pressed a little bit better than us. They looked a little bit more urgent at times than we did. Uh, but ultimately, both teams defended really poorly. Um, and I don't know how much you can read into any of it, really. Uh, I'm, I'm, I tend to have a pretty high tolerance level of these things. I kind of like, you know, the open game, they're knocking it around, they're creating lots of chances away. This is all a bit of a laugh. Um, for some reason, last night really didn't do it for me at all. Um, but but I thought McGeady was good. Um, I, 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 uh, I thought McGeady, for me, actually was better than Houlihan, but, um, or at least maybe I was more pleasantly surprised by him because... Uh, I mean, I saw Neil after the game saying, uh, I don't want to be an apologist for Aidan McGeady. And yeah. then say, was he... I mean, that, that tended to... To me, as though McGeady, maybe people didn't think he played particularly Yeah, well. you see, that's that's the thing. I was a, bit, a tiny bit surprised because he actually did say that that, uh, that McGeady did play quite well, mm. but then went on to say that um, that basically he was chipping in with stuff and then disappearing for long stretches of time, which mm. which you know may be true. But um, I mean, you'd forgive him that compared to some of his performances down the years for Ireland. I, I thought yeah. I thought a couple of the crosses he got, got in last night were really exceptional and should have been turned into goals. And his true ball for for longs run early on. That was, was a, a, that was the best chance he. Well, there was the cross to McLean as well, which, yeah, which maybe should have got. Really good cross, but and and and, and two, a couple of side steps down the right hand side, which ended in in good deliveries. And two, you know, far too often we see with McGeady the build up work, 
you see the side steps and everything like that, and then it just comes to absolutely nothing. Yeah, you know? I mean, Martin O'Neill, or not Martin O'Neill, rather, Roberto Martinez seems to see McGeady. I mean, we've always just used him as a winger with Ireland, yeah. he's only a winger. Um, but that Martinez seems to see him more as a player on the inside. And I mean, the, the ball, to say, for long maybe shows what he can do. Yeah. Um, maybe this is becoming a bit more. Um, common in football now, the idea of a player on the inside who actually does try and, and dribble and uh, and pass from those kinds of positions, as opposed to just whipping in crosses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many crosses did we whip in yesterday? And we're not very good at putting them away. Like, no, that's true. And uh, and not very good at putting away uh, two uh, balls either. I uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not. Yeah, no matter what, what what direction they come from, we're not very good at putting them away. <laughs> and uh, and I think that made that point was made by the manager as well. Uh, I I don't think uh, Shane Long did himself any favors. Yeah. Uh, McGeady said last week that he sees himself as 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 certainly being capable of playing in the centre, and I think he quite fancies it. Yeah. And um and I think that flexibility will stand to him. I think that you might see him. I I think primarily he's probably still seen as a wide player by O'Neill, but but I certainly think uh, he sees the, the opportunity as a welcome one to have the option to play him in the middle and he also talked about McLean playing uh, up front as a central striker well, It strikes me that the only way the conversation about McGeady would ever change is if he does play more centrally because as a winger I think we're going to have this conversation that we're having today which we've been doing for quite a few years now McGeady's yeah. been around one of those players that's been around a lot longer than sometimes you think and yeah. if, nearly if, 10 years if, now, you know, yeah. if he's still only putting in the occasional performance where well, you can well, be fully happy with him yeah I think what might be significant is that it is under O'Neill I, I, like, that's sure. what I thought was interesting last night I, for me he he seemed to have stepped up his game. There seemed to be more purpose to it. The the final product was 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 much was much better. And I wondered whether that is um, something that O'Neill he he seemed very very very. I mean, all manage, you know players always talk up their managers uh, for for club or country. But um, but he he seemed really genuine about about how much he, he a time he has for uh, O'Neill. There seems to be a warmth there as well. In, in O'Neill, it manifests itself constantly through kind of. Um, um, uh, bad jokes uh, about what a what a what a little grump uh, McGeady is, but they're the sort of things that a manager can't say about a player unless they have a decent relationship, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and so I, I wonder whether we will see O'Neill get more out of McGeady. I, I certainly hope so. Because I, I'm just thinking. I really wish that Alex Ferguson taking that approach with Roy Keane over the course of his career. Call, oh, him, yeah. a, call him a little grump in press conferences. <laughs> like that. Yeah. I don't know how well that little grouch Roy Keane. <laughs> no, uh, and the, I mean, what I wonder with with O'Neill is, uh, I mean, his. His interview in TV after the game was very much, um, you know, we're going to have to start putting the ball in. You know, it's not enough just to dominate, to create loads of yeah. chances and to play brilliantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to score as well. Do, do you get the impression, though, with him that he is actually going to be ruthless? That he, that, you know, is he going to be, is he actually going in there angry after after losing? Okay, it's only friendly, but the ranking points do matter. You end up playing really difficult teams yeah. and not being able to qualify for tournaments. You know, that's, that is important. I mean, if you lose enough games, that he's going to um, say, okay, Shane Long. Hmm. You know, you're you're out for the next game. You know, you can't miss a chance like if you no, miss a chance like that. We don't have enough like players that. to do that, though. We, do, we really don't have the playing well, field that you can just be ruthless and drop a guy if he doesn't. So, so is it a question simply of just of, of molly coddling no. players through through mistakes? Or I suppose no. no you, but you if say, Shay, but if Shay Long offered you nothing else, then sure you would drop him. But he, he does offer you something. He offers the mix of physicality and mobility that no other striker really but does. But is it is it a case that manager it has to start being? Kind of finishing to that mix, though. That's you know? the problem. I know. Yeah. You have to start being ruthless. You have to say this isn't good enough. If you can't do it, I'm going to find someone who maybe can. The difficulty you know, and, and is where do you I find mean, them? Like yeah, it's international football, you know. James McLean. Yeah. Well, we well, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. Murphy, he seems to, he seems to be talking about. Uh, he seems to be talking about McLean as a possibility up there. I think the idea, the idea being essentially that if you, you know, a manager can can take many different approaches. A manager can be the kind who always defends his players and always yeah. is saying, uh, is encouraging them and essentially picking the same guys and, sure. and saying, "Go on, I have faith. I believe in you." Yeah. Or you can say, "All right, that's not good enough. You're out." And and it's not good enough. And and, and if and I'm not going to put up with it. And maybe maybe it changes the tone a bit. Maybe the players are thinking, okay. And maybe that's okay. again, wow. this is a club manager versus yeah. international. You I think it's like I, I met a guy who went to teacher training college donkeys years ago, and he said that they were told when they wanted to kind of stamp their authority on a class that they just went into for the very first time, you pick the most innocent looking guy in the class and just like chuck him out for nothing. Yeah, yeah, get, <laughs> yeah, you uh, outrage. Yes. And the others are, are the other kids are like struck by how the unjust the injustice <laughs> of all of this, and, and 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 you win their respect. And I think maybe there'd be a case for O'Neill picking <laughs> picking one of the more useless members of the squad and and making an example of him. The problem with Long is you know for all his limitations um, for all, for all the players. disappointments he's still somebody who you just think like god almighty someday it might just happen yeah, yeah. hopefully listen Emmett we'll leave it there great stuff great stuff cheers take care I do think there is just enough about um, about Shane Long to 
justify leaving him in the team and giving him a chance and working at ways to improve his finishing. If, if it's not done at club level, level, maybe it can't be. It was interesting. I was watching one of Hull's games towards the end of the season. I can't remember which match it was. And the Comfrey team uh, were making the point that, oh, just Jelovic and Hunt, they've made... Uh, Jelovic, Hunt, Jelovic and uh, Shane Long, they've made such a difference to this Hull attack just to have two strikers like that leading the line. And then the commentator said, of course, they've only scored two goals between them in 12 games. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. You kind of need one. It was something like that. It was a ridiculous stat at that stage. They yeah. hadn't scored many, I think. Maybe it was three in, in, in 12 or 13 or something like that. Yeah. But hadn't gone particularly well from that stage. Ken, we do have to wrap things up pretty soon. But we haven't mentioned very good news for Richard Dunn, who uh, is back in the Premier League, mm. QPR. But very bad news for Richard Kyo, oh. another Irish defender who okay. was whose mistake allowed QPR to score a golden injury time to win the championship final. Horrible mistake. Yeah, I mean, really bad. You know, poor old Richard Kyo. Um, what can you say? I mean, I was watching this. Uh, not watching it, rather. I was in the... It was before the Champions League final. So I was in the stadium in Lisbon. And suddenly, you know, and we're kind of following it online, you know, what's happening. And you can see Richard Dunn was heading away a lot of balls. And then, suddenly, oh, QPR have scored. Yeah, QPR have scored some more. And then suddenly it became clear that this was due to a horrible error. And obviously the vine then quickly appears. Vines not only of Richard Kyo scoring, but then of him crying. Richard Kyo m- making the mistake yeah. that allowed the goal to go in and then crying. A yeah. player who's, who's used, um, who's, who's kind of built up his career gradually, used sports psychologists a lot to try. Apparently he used to struggle a bit uh, mentally, you know, with the mental side of the game, preparation and so on, used psychologists to try and get himself into this uh, more consistent frame of mind, which obviously he managed, and managed for 90 minutes of the playoff final until just this thing, which I suppose, you know, a poor clearance, but the kind of thing that's going to happen to everyone once in a while. It's kind of the nature of the game. Yeah. Just for it to happen at that moment in a game against 10 men, I mean, because QPR, remember, had Gary O'Neill committed a professional foul, got himself sent off. Ten men, QPR. <clears throat> if it goes to extra time, Derby are going to be in the Premier League. Derby in the Premier League, everybody's getting paid. How, how much more is everyone around you going to get paid? You know, you, you know you're getting paid. All your teammates are getting paid. You know, maybe, maybe a couple of you are even going to go on to become really big players in the game. And then, oh, that's not going to happen. And everybody else is looking at you. I can't imagine how that must feel uh, for Richie Kyo. I mean, I don't want to see and sound like I'm gloating at him. I'm trying to express pity for him, but it's the, it's 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 the worst uh, for in a, in that particular game. I don't know if there's a worse game that you could. Okay, he does it in the World Cup final. At least he gets to play in the World Cup final. That would be pretty bad if it happened in the World Cup final. But they do take your point. It was uh, not a great day for Richard Kyo, and hopefully he'll bounce back pretty soon. Do have a listen to the first show we put out today. Loads of brilliant stuff in there. We talked about Shane Lowry and Rory McIlroy, but not so much battling it out. I guess they were playing their own games rather separately, but the two of them finishing first and second at Wentworth over the weekend, which was absolutely stunning and one of the one of the bigger sporting events over the weekend. We've also got Ushie McConnell and Anthony Moyles. Lots of great stuff from them on the couple of big gay football games. Do check out that show on irishtimes.com forward slash second captains. Loads of great podcasts on the Irish Times homepage or if you get onto irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts, you can have a listen to everything else that's there. And you can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud and if you're on an Android, then the Podcast Republic app is probably the best one to go for. In the meantime, we've greatly enjoyed chatting to you today. Thank you very much, Ken. Thank you very much, Owen. We'll talk to you again a little bit later in the week. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those.